it's just as, as, as much of an issue in terms of misleading the market as a misrepresentation of any other financial risk issue. Hello and welcome to another acclimatised conversation on climate change adaptation, the show that picks the brains of some of the leading thinkers on climate change risk and resilience. Climate change is too often characterised as an environmental issue, one that is separate from the human worlds of economics, finance and business. However, in recent years, with the Paris Agreement followed by the seismic recommendations of the Financial Stability Board's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, or TCFD, climate change is increasingly being understood as an issue of financial risk. This realisation has caught the attention of corporate lawyers who recognise the need for corporations to understand and manage climate change as a financial risk issue, or expose themselves to legal liabilities. To understand more about this fast-emerging field, we spoke with Sarah Barker, Special Counsel and Head of Climate Risk Governance at Minter Ellison, the largest commercial law firm in the Asia-Pacific. Sarah explains that her realisation about the significance of climate change as a corporate finance issue emerged from an unlikely source. I um, had my early life crisis, as you do when you're a lawyer in your your late 20s, when you realise it's not like Ally McBeal. And... So I went part-time and, and started up a business making Christmas crackers, as you do. And in the process of doing that, my eyes were really opened to all the waste that went into a consumer supply chain. So I was importing paper from Germany and importing cufflinks from China because they were very high-end Christmas crackers. And so I'd take the cufflinks that were packaged inside foam, inside a tin, inside bubble wrap, inside a box, and then take them out of the packaging, repackage them in plastic, and then inside this paper Christmas cracker that in and of itself was inherently made to be pulled apart and thrown away. And for the first time, my eyes were opened to the amount of waste in a supply chain. This realisation spurred Sarah to study for a Masters of Environment, all whilst working as a corporate lawyer. And in doing so, I read a lot of literature around corporate social responsibility. And I realised in doing that, that the literature was still uh, treating climate change and environmental issues more broadly as a non-financial issue. This of course goes some way to explaining how a corporate lawyer made the links between environmental issues and the financial and economic realities faced by their clients. For Sarah it soon became obvious that climate change posed a financial risk to her clients and that the risk was, from a legal perspective, no different from other kinds of financial risk that directors have a fiduciary duty to manage. We don't tend to be known for our care of the environment or the community. We uh, have a bit of a stereotype as only really really caring about money and risk. And I suppose that's how I first became involved in climate change as a subject area because 
I could see that climate change had evolved to become a financial risk issue. But there was still a large disconnect between uh, both the way that governments and the community and business were discussing the issues associated with climate change. It was still being positioned very much as an environmental issue that was inversely related to the generation of financial wealth. And everything that I'd seen and read demonstrated to me that, no, this is a material financial risk issue. So we need to start engaging with it as a financial risk issue. And when you treat climate change as an issue in the same way you treat any other financial risk and opportunity, it necessarily invokes commercial laws and corporate governance laws. It necessarily enlivens directors' duties to exercise due care and diligence in having regard to this as a financial risk to their business. Sarah has since spent a lot of her time engaging and advising companies on climate change as a financial risk. One of the most important elements of this work has been to reform the way directors think about climate change as an issue. The, the frame of communication has been absolutely critical. Um, I've, I've taught the Institute of Company Directors course here in Australia for, for about a decade and a half now. And, and I could see the way that um, parts of the environmental movement were trying to engage with business in relation to climate change. And it still very much was around that emotive, the polar bears are losing their territory uh, because of Arctic ice melt, um, biodiversity loss kind of language um, to which the director's response was, oh, well, that's very sad, but not only do I not have to care about that, but I'm not allowed to care about that because my legal duties are to maximise financial wealth for my corporation. So to me, it was blindingly obvious that, well, you just need to reframe the language to to communicate in a way that is relevant for the business community. So to communicate to them that this is a financial risk and it actually doesn't matter if you have a personal view that this is a, a, a lefty, hippie, greeny, socialist conspiracy because when stakeholders in the market, when banks and institutional investors and credit ratings agencies and, and governments are shifting on it, that presents stakeholder risks that you need to manage. Reframing climate change as an issue of financial risk has allowed Sarah and other lawyers to make the issue relevant for corporates. This is important as the legal landscape around climate risk has been developing at pace. There are three categories of climate-related financial risks. One of those is legal risk. So I think it was actually quite a bit of a turning point back in 2015 where over there the Bank of England Prudential Regulation Authority uh, published a report that actually sat behind uh, Mark Carney's seminal tragedy of the Horizon speech at Lloyds of London. And in that report, the Bank of England set out those three categories of financial or climate-related financial risks. These were physical risks, the economic transition risks associated with moving to a low-carbon society, and the liability consequences associated with climate change. Shortly after Mark Carney's speech came the Paris Agreement, 
which has been called the mother of all market signals, an agreement between 196 countries showing a clear direction of travel towards increased action on climate change to keep warming to below 2 degrees above pre-industrial levels, and that the global economy will be net zero in the latter half of the 21st century. So with the Paris Agreement, all of a sudden we have this incredibly strong signal that climate change necessarily has to shift to a financial risk because of the fact that policy and regulation is going to change. Then, hot on the heels of the Paris Agreement, the G20 Financial Stability Board's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, TCFD, then set out a framework to guide companies in assessing and disclosing material financial risks of climate change. So we firstly got the Paris Agreement, Secondly, we've got this uh, G20 promulgated framework uh, that recognises the context in which climate change can present material financial risks. And so these are two really, really strong signals that climate change has become a financial risk issue. The importance of that is that it then enlivens directors' duties because of the fact it is it is a financial risk issue under any theory of corporate social responsibility. So here in Australia, following those two developments, we um, uh, instructed a, a, a very senior barrister in 2016, uh, Mr Noel Hutley, who's actually the, the president of the Australasian Bar Association, uh, a very well-respected, very senior commercial lawyer, And we asked Mr Hutley for his view on whether, given these developments, given these indications around climate-related financial risks and the transition of this risk from an environmental risk to become one that was financial, whether or not a court would consider that a director's failure to have considered these risks in governing um, the strategy, the financial strategy of the company would be a breach of their duties of due care and diligence under our Corporations Act over here. And Mr Hutley said, well, yes, it's a financial risk. And so therefore necessarily it enlivens that obligation to exercise due care and diligence in governing for it. Since then, the Hutley opinion has been picked up by a number of institutions, including the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, or APRA, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, ASIC, the Australian Stock Exchange, and the Reserve Bank of Australia. So all the financial regulators have come out and said, we, we do understand and, and we concur with Mr Hutley's opinion that this is a material financial risk that does enliven this duty of due care and diligence. And not only in um, this country, but um, in Europe, in Poland and in the US, we're now starting to see cases brought against not only companies, but their directors, shareholder class actions and actions by regulators alleging that uh, either because of misleading disclosure or otherwise that there has been a, a breach of directors' obligations in relation to the way that they they manage climate-related financial risks or disclose those risks. So with climate change being a relatively new issue for many directors, one might assume that the consequences for 
failing to disclose or manage those risks might be relatively uncertain or emerging. Not so, explains Sarah. These consequences are exactly the same as a, a failure to govern for any other financial risk. So generally, when we talk about director's duties, we talk about them in three broad categories. There's the duty to prioritise the best interests of their corporation. The second uh, obligation relates to exercising due care and diligence when they are prioritising those interests of the corporation. And the third relates to disclosure, responsible for ensuring that the company presents a true and fair view of its financial position, financial performance and financial prospects to, to markets so that investors, insurers can make educated decisions. In each of those three categories, a failure to govern for the financial risks associated with climate change can present a risk of breach. So then, for example, if a director of a company ignores or denies climate change, they may be found not to be acting in the best interests of the company at a financial level, because you would have an obligation to recognise that markets have shifted and that your view does not reflect that of the market. Similarly, a failure to exercise due care and diligence. Uh, due care and diligence is an obligation of robust process. So if you are assuming that climate change does not present uh, financial risk to your company instead of assessing whether or not it does so, whether you're honestly ignorant, for example, they're, they're kinds of um, situations where the absence of robust process can lead to a failure of due care and diligence. And then finally, on the disclosure front, and this is where we're starting to see the, the majority of, of climate-related uh, governance cases emerge, if you either um, represent that climate change does not present a material financial risk to your company or you're silent on it, which in and of itself is a representation that it doesn't present a material financial risk to your company, or you understate the impact or misdescribe it or overstate the initiatives undertaken by your corporation to manage it, it's just as, as, as much of an issue in terms of misleading the market as a misrepresentation of any other financial risk issue. This has recently been further reinforced in Australia as both the Accounting Standards Board and Auditing Standards Board have released joint guidance that explicitly states When you are preparing financial statements, not the narrative portion of your annual report, the financial statements, you need to ensure that the accounting estimates in those financial statements include climate-related assumptions where they have a material impact on things like the useful lives, uh, the useful life assumptions uh, that you apply to your asset valuations, the impairments that are applied to those assets, provisions that are raised against uh, assets, all those kinds of things. So we've got a strong statement now from our accounting and auditing standards boards that says this is squarely relevant not only to the narrative portions of the disclosures in your annual reports, but also to the quant portion, the front end, the financial statements. So these changes have only heightened the potential climate-related legal liabilities for directors. But 
taking steps to manage climate risks can have significant upsides for business. And as Sarah explains, looking at climate change risk management as a cost to business ignores the benefits that will accrue over the medium to long term. On a forward-looking basis, what is the net value proposition to our company of doing nothing? versus what is the net value proposition to our company of managing these risks and exploiting these opportunities. And both at a macroeconomic level uh, for economies as a whole and a microeconomic level in terms of value propositions to individual companies, um, there is very, very little uh, evidence that uh, proactive action on climate change is anything but value accretive. For companies operating in sectors that are significantly exposed to financial risks associated with climate change, either physical risks or transition risks, then the obligation to act to understand and manage those risks is only heightened. It's um, very squarely an issue that needs to be constructively engaged with and it might be that it's not a short-term profit-maximising proposition, but when you look at it over the longer term, where the alternative is basically um, um, the entire business losing its value, very, very quickly you can see the benefits of, of engaging with the transition as early as possible so that you really can manage it uh, rather than um, being at the mercy of the markets when the inevitable uh, adjustment occurs. While there are some companies that are already proactively managing their climate-related financial risk exposure, in Sarah's experience, such actions is certainly not universal, meaning that there is a build-up of legal liability that can have very significant consequences for businesses. There are some very, very astute companies who are very well advanced in their transition plans and they understand uh, the critical need to transition uh, and they're not looking on it as as just a risk but certainly as, as an opportunity and so um, that's at one end of the spectrum then at the other there is still a significant proportion of companies in the economy and even within particular sectors who are still um, operating under a 20th century assumption that uh, they continue with business as usual as far as, as any kind of um, emission goes uh, and that they will continue to be able to operate like that um, in the foreseeable future, which we know not to be the case. Despite patchy progress, Sarah says that recent developments have provided cause for optimism. In the last 18 months in particular, I've seen a huge shift in attitudes amongst institutional investors. I've seen a huge shift in recognition in boardrooms here in Australia about the fact that this is a material financial risk and not an environmental risk. The next step in the journey is really to think about, well, what do we do? And that indeed is the key question that company directors need to be asking themselves today. What can we do to manage climate-related financial risk? Fortunately, there are tools and guidance out there that can help. 
So the companies that, that are responding to it best are really embracing the recommendations of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. And the, the key recommendation under that framework is that companies do stress testing and scenario planning across the entire range of plausible climate futures. So this would involve asking, what would happen to my business if the world takes strong action on climate change to meet the Paris Agreement stated target of limiting temperatures to two degrees above pre-industrial times? Well, that would entail some significant physical climate risks, sea level rise, storms, droughts, etc., and also very considerable transition risks as the world rapidly decarbonised. But directors also need to ask themselves what would happen under a business-as-usual scenario where the world heads for four degrees plus of warming. How would my company manage the extreme physical risks and socio-economic consequences of climate change under that scenario? And leaders in the sector are finding that by doing that stress testing and scenario planning exercise, it really enables them to get a handle on the universe of risk that the businesses are facing going forward and to strategize around them and to lead the market. When Sarah started specialising in climate governance around six years ago, she was one of only a handful of corporate lawyers talking about the issue globally. But this has changed dramatically and is increasingly understood as an issue of corporate financial risk. The law has evolved to understand climate change as real and a series of legal cases have begun to set important precedent in this area, including shareholder-led actions seeking to hold companies to account over their actions on climate change, such as that brought against Commonwealth Bank over its climate disclosure. As Sarah explains, one of the reasons why these cases have been so successful is that they are not stretching legal frameworks very far. The issue with these cases, like the, the case against the Commonwealth Bank, which wasn't against its directors, but, but the, the bank itself alleging misleading disclosure for, for a failure to identify climate change as a material financial risk in, it, in its annual report. Cases like ExxonMobil, where there are both shareholder class actions um, on foot and also um, actions by um, regulators like the New York Attorney General alleging that their statutory filings have um, have uh, under underrepresented the scale of of climate related financial risks to the business. None of these claims are judicial stretches or legal stretches, they apply very well understood, very well established corporate law frameworks. The only difference, as I say, is that the, the subject matter of the financial risk that, the, that they're alleging is one created by climate change. But the law itself that applies is not new or controversial nor does it require, you know, in, in, any judicial activism, so to speak, in order to, to apply uh, uh, principles to the factual scenario. What, really, all that is novel is that the word climate change is being substituted uh, for any other financial risk that you might care to mention. Because such established legal principles are being applied to climate change as a financial risk issue, it is highly likely that many of these cases will be successful. And as climate change and its impacts become more apparent... The risks 
to um, directors of companies that continue to lag in this area, the litigation risk is only going to increase as it becomes uh, more and more acute a risk from a financial perspective that they're failing to adequately govern and strategize around this risk. So really the only defense for uh, companies and their directors is to exercise due care and diligence. And that's a, a an active, a proactive process of robust consideration of how climate change impacts on their business. When it comes to ensuring that as a company director, you are demonstrating due care and diligence, Sarah has a handy five E's test. The first E is educate. So um, directors have an obligation to um, obtain and maintain contemporary understanding of what their business does, its financial position, uh, the regulatory environment it operates in, and um, the industry context relevant to it. They don't then have to be experts about it, but they then need to get to the next E, which is inquire. Ask questions of management and independent experts. You then need to examine the issue. You need to read your board papers about it. You need to, fourth E, evaluate the issue critically. You need to actively apply your independent judgment. And then the last E is express. You need to um, ensure that you uh, make your views known and if uh, you remain concerned about the direction of travel then you really need to make sure that your your uh, voice on that is is heard in the boardroom overall then there is a clear message to directors act now to understand and manage climate related financial risk or face a potentially high price in the courts the risks are only going to get more acute um, from a failure to do so because it will become uh, more and more um, um, a, an issue that, that has the potential to impact on company value and then therefore attract the ire of, of shareholders potentially in, in shareholder class actions if, if um, the business does in fact suffer damage because either that these um, risks have been misdisclosed or potentially uh, claims for a breach of duty if, if they have not been adequately taken into account. The rising tide of legal cases set against a backdrop of hardening international regulations, national legislation and a slew of guidance from regulators make it abundantly clear that climate change is now considered very definitely to be a financial risk to corporations. The significance of this cannot be understated. As Sarah has pointed out, this invokes very established legal frameworks governing financial risk management and disclosure, and therefore is something that companies simply cannot afford to ignore. Those that act fastest are likely to see the most value from their actions over the medium and long term, whilst those that don't open themselves up to shareholder class actions and other legal risks. Many thanks indeed to Sarah Barker for being our expert guide through this tangled topic and thanks also to the band Broke for Free who provided our title music. 
You have been listening to an acclimatised conversation on climate change adaptation. You can find other episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also recommend you check out Acclimatise's other podcast series, This New Climate. They explore some of the innovations that are transforming our world to be more resilient to the impacts of climate change. You can learn more about it on our website, www.acclimatise.uk.com forward slash this new climate. Thanks for listening and I hope you join us next time.